Let's uh, go ahead and call this meeting to order here, and uh, we'll start with a word of prayer, and then we'll do a brief review, and then we'll plow some new, new turf here tonight. Brian, would you open us in prayer to this? Okay, so we uh, last week had a discussion about Antichrist, right? Antichrist, who is sort of the dominant figure in the tribulation, which will be our topic for this evening, at least the first part of this evening. So tell me, tell me a little bit about this Antichrist here. What? Why do we call him Antichrist? Okay, he's against Christ, or what was the other possibility? Instead of, or in the place of, we sort of, he's, he's going to exalt himself as God. And so that word anti uh, can use, mean both. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, a prefix that can mean either one. Uh, John calls him Antichrist. He's the only author in the New Testament that calls him Antichrist. What, what other names does he take? Okay, the beast is probably the most common. Abomination of desolation, and uh, Thessalonians, Paul calls him man of, man of sin or man of lawlessness, okay? So it gives us a little bit of an idea of his moral character. Is he also called the son of perdition? Um, I mean, that's the name that was given to, to uh, Judas. I'm trying to remember if that's, that's a name also given to him. It, it's possible. I... I, I It may be, yeah, it would make sense, it fits, right? <laughs> so where does he come from? Probably an unbelieving Jew because it says that his God is Elohim, so he gives apparently some sort of a token recognition of the God of his people. Uh, where else? What, what, do we have any other clues about where he comes from? Yeah, he seems to come out of the. He's, he, you know, there's the ten horns and the ten, the ten toes and the uh, and uh, you know which talk about which are a reference here to the fragmented Roman Empire in Daniel and elsewhere. And so it appears then that he comes out of the remnants of the Roman Empire, but that doesn't give us a whole lot. Uh, it could be that he's European, uh, but recall that the Roman Empire was vast, right? It, it was very, very large, and probably we could include most of the Americas here because those are largely populated by people who are descendants of, of uh, Roman uh, folks who were in the Roman Empire. So I don't know that it gives us a whole lot of information, perhaps excludes him from being a, you know, Oriental, but... But that's, that's about all this gives us. It doesn't really give us much information. Um, but uh, uh, when does he rise? Uh, 
beginning of the tribulation. In fact, what's, what's, the, what's the starting point for the tribulation? It's after the rapture, but the starting point, the, 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 the seven-year clock doesn't start ticking until... Yes, so a treaty that's signed between Antichrist and the, uh, the people of Israel, and apparently resolving all sorts of ancient tensions there, uh, allowing even the uh, resumption of the Jewish sacrificial system at the temple, which doesn't really seem even remotely possible uh, within our current political climate, but apparently that's going to happen. And that's, going to, that's really going to start the uh, seven-year clock ticking. There's no reason to think that there's a big gap between the rapture and this, this time, but technically the, the week doesn't start until, the, the, the seven-year period doesn't start until, uh, until the uh, treaty is signed. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Just now when you said not much time, it's something just clicked in my head about the, uh, the short period of time where it was quiet. Yeah, there was a half hour in heaven. That's in the middle of the tribute. So, so, so this, this quiet time, I, I, I'm reminded I'm supposed to uh, repeat some things for the uh, people in Zoom land. Uh, but uh, the question is, uh, this hour of quiet in, the, in heaven, does that have anything to do with this period? Probably not, because uh, that's in the middle of the tribulation, not at the beginning. So um, again, there's no real reason to think there's going to be a big gap, but uh, perhaps a uh, perhaps a, there's a little bit of a gap. Yeah. Okay. And of course, we suggested here that there's a there's a possibility that Satan's got contingency plans going on all the time. He's not aware of when this is going to happen either, and so perhaps he's constantly cultivating someone, grooming someone uh, to be in this position. Uh, yeah, pretty much all the time. So you you want you know sometimes we wonder is so and so the antichrist and 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 perhaps the answer even though it's a no what it could be well had things unfolded differently he might have been but uh, but uh, Satan's always trying to uh, figure out a plan to overthrow God and perhaps this is this is part of it okay so he rises to power with this with this. Uh, with this uh, uh, treaty, then what happens at the middle of the tribulation? Uh, not quite yet. The treaty is broken first. Okay, so the treaty is broken, and that's what—that's when Israel flees into the wilderness in order to be protected by God for 1260 days, because that's when the great and terrible period of the tribulation commences, and so he's. He's absolutely without restraint. Up till this point, it seems like he's using people to get power. Now he's got it. He's, got, he's uncontested. And so now he breaks his treaty because he never really had any interest or concern for the Jews in the first place. And, uh, and then the, uh, the, 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 the worst of the tribulation begins. Then, we, we come into your, your answer here, Paul. Uh, there is a series of battles. First, with the king of the north. Uh, who is who comes through and apparently gives him either a fatal wound or at least an extraordinary serious extraordinarily serious wound from which he would not be, have been expected to recover 
uh, the king of the north goes down into Africa to lay claim to those lands as well, but then he hears rumors in the north that Antichrist has come back to power, uh, perhaps even come back to life, and so there's a return, and there's another battle. What battle? Gog and Magog. Yeah, not, not Armageddon yet, okay? So Gog and Magog is when... And when uh, Antichrist defeats the armies of the north and becomes the uncontested leader of the world. And then he descends on Israel uh, and uh, converges on the uh, last remnant of the Israelite people. Uh, and then that's where the Battle of Armageddon takes place. That's where God comes. I mean, it's, it, in some ways, it's not much of a battle. Don't, don't, don't think of uh, you know, these battle scenes from... Lord of the Rings or something here, because it's, it's rather a one-sided thing. Uh, God simply annihilates uh, the, uh, the armies of Antichrist in a, in a rather swift movement here with the sword of his mouth. Uh, so, and that's when it all ends, and he becomes, uh, Antichrist is, is then taken and becomes the first resident of the Lake of Fire. He's put in uh, before uh, Christ begins to reign in the great millennial reign, and so he's put into the lake of fire early. He's the first resident along with his false prophet. Okay? So, that's the Antichrist. He's the major figure. Let's go through uh, the doctrine of tribulation a little bit more uh, thoroughly here tonight and uh, fill in a few of these gaps here. Uh, this term here, tribulation, Greek word thlipsis, uh, is used for general tribulation or, you know, troubles uh, that people go through. Uh, but there's also this reference to an eschatological period of intensive wrath that is universal in scope, okay? And uh, we find that, uh, you know, as we go through the Olivet Discourse here, Olivet Discourse here is, is, in, is in answer to the question, when are these things going to happen when, when is the sign of your coming? So, so, he, so Christ has been talking about the establishment of the kingdom, but they've already been told a couple chapters earlier that the kingdom's going to be taken away from this generation and given to another generation that does its fruits. And so they, they've been reminded that the kingdom is, is at least off for now. There's a, there's a suspension of this, this kingdom program, and yet Christ keeps talking about the kingdom, still coming, but the question then naturally comes up, so when, when is this going to happen? And so the Olivet Discourse, uh, Matthews 24 and 25, is, is, is a detailing of that and how we get to the point of the kingdom. And so yeah, there's, this, there's this going to be this period where there's going to be false Christs, there are going to be false prophets, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, things are really going to start to fall apart, Nation will rise up against nation. This is the beginning of the birth pains, he says. You're going to be persecuted. And, and again, I think he's talking about the Israelite people here specifically. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated by the nations. And there's going to be a great apostasy. And nonetheless, the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached throughout the whole world, says in verse 14, as a testimony to the nations. Okay, and so this... So even though all of this intense persecution is, is ongoing, there's going to be a broad evangelistic effort. But 
Then there's going to be uh, sort of this midpoint, you know, starting in verse 15, when the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by Daniel is going to stand in the temple and exalt himself as God. And then, here's this word flipsis that comes in verse 21, then there will be a great distress, a great tribulation, like nothing from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. So, so there's going to be this grand climax of tribulation. And, 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 the, and the superlative terms are, are an indication here that this tribulation that's going to take place is not something that's historical. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a history of the whole church. It's not something that took place in the first century, uh, as, as some would suggest. This is something that is, is, is still ahead of us and is greater than anything uh, that will ever has ever happened and ever will. Okay, and so uh, this is a this is a great tribulation. Revelation seven talks about uh, the great tribulation as well. Okay, it talks about those who are standing before the uh, the throne of God, uh, appealing for 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 uh, for justice. And these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation who died. Okay, it's also called the hour of testing, uh, which gives us an, a sense of what the purpose of this, of this uh, tribulation period is time. It's an hour of testing, which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. And so uh, we, we recognize that there's going to be a winnowing that takes place. There's going to be a division that takes place, sheep, goats, and, uh, and several parables take place here, particularly in Matthew 24 and 25, to indicate there that that's going on. It's going to be a time of distress and trouble as well. Uh, specifically then related uh, to the, uh, the uh, function of the tribulation with respect to Israel. Uh, it's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30 says. It's going to be an awful day. Nothing like it. It will be a tr time of trouble for Jacob. And so it sort of uh, singles out the Israelite people as part of the object of this distress and trouble, but also testing and uh, there's actually, as we're going to see here, some, some positive responses ongoing as well. Michael, the great prince, Daniel says, who protects your people will arise and there will be a time of distress that has not happened from the beginning of nations until that time. Paul calls it here a day of wrath or indignation. It's the wrath to come. Uh, this word indignation is the snorting of God, literally. You know, so this, this, he's, he's blasting with his nostrils here and, 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 uh, and punishing the world. And so this is the term that's used in Daniel 8. I'm going to let you know what's going to happen during this period of indignation. For it has to do with the appointed time of the end. And during this time, Revelation says that the people will say, please fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for this great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand in front of it? And then we find this, this, uh, this uh, nomenclature of day of the Lord used. Again, the day of the Lord is something of a, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a fixed period of time, in Scripture, we find that there are days of the Lord, even in the Old Testament, 
days in which God supernaturally divulges his mighty arm and sets things straight. But there's no period of time in history uh, that there is a greater concentration of these uses of day of the Lord language than this time, and which, is, which is why it is called the great and terrible day of the Lord. Unlike other, I mean, there are other days of the Lord in which God you know, flexes his muscles, but this is the day of the Lord, the great and terrible uh, day of the Lord. Okay. So the chronology, we've already uh, gone through that a little bit here, but it's preceded, as we said, by the rapture of the church. No need to go back and review that. But we find it is a period of seven years. We don't know when the seven years is going to be, but we know it's seven years, and we know this because Daniel tells us as much as, as, as anyone here. So we find here uh, that uh, uh, he speaks of these 77s, one of the great... Uh, great uh, prophecies of the Old Testament. You might want to go there if you want to Daniel chapter 9. This is where this period of time is introduced. It says here in verse 24 that 77s, uh, some of your translations uh, say, uh, well, 70 weeks perhaps some of your older translations have here. Probably, as we're, as we're going to suggest here, probably we should be thinking in terms of 70 Heptads, 77s, okay? So in, in Hebrew, the word seven is the same word as week, okay? So, so it could be 70 weeks of days, but it could be 70 periods of seven, really. It, 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 is, it is a nonspecific term, okay? So 77, 70 heptads of years probably, are decree, decreed for your people and your holy city. So 490 years. 77s, to finish transgression and put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Okay? Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Know and understand this, Daniel goes on, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the Messiah, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Okay, so there's going to be, do the math here, 483 years from the time that Jerusalem is rebuilt until the anointed one arrives. There will be times of trouble, but after these, these 62 sevens, or seven and 62, after 483 years, the anointed one will be cut off, will be reduced to nothing. The people of the ruler who come after will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood. War will continue to the end, and desolations have been decreed. But here's the thing, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. So there's 49 years, an additional 62 sevens. I'm trying to do the math real quick and I couldn't do it. Um, and, and then there's going to be a, there's a, there's, set off from the rest is going to be another seven. Okay. And this 
desolation will have come, and he will confirm a covenant with many for seven years. But in the middle of that period, he will put an end to the sacrifice and the offering, and on a wing of the temple he will set himself up, an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out upon him. So it's a period of 70 years. It's hard to know exactly what those 70 years are. I have a little text box that we sort of tease out some of the possibilities. We don't know exactly when it starts. We don't know exactly when it ends. We, don't, we honestly don't know exactly when Messiah is killed. We, we, don't, we don't actually know a year. Uh, we, 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 have, we have some guesses that get us pretty close, but we, we really don't know uh, what year Messiah was killed. And so we, we look at the uh, data here. Artaxerxes makes the decree to rebuild the temple in 458 and to rebuild the walls in 455. Of course, Daniel specifies to rebuild the city. So the question is, is, is it one of those dates? And, I'm, and, I, and it's hard to know exactly. Is it the walls? Is it the temple? Or is it some other period? Messiah was cut off by most estimates around 30 A.D. Okay, so if you go with the 458 date, that puts you at a 488, which is a little bit too much, five years too much. If you use the 445, it's a little too little. And so, uh, so, so neither of those date ranges works perfectly here. It's also possible that uh, uh, the, uh, the years of 360 days were used. That was the traditional calendar that was used in much of antiquity. There was a, uh, there was a, there was a moving calendar uh, um, because, they, because they used the uh, lunar cycles and such. And so, so there, there were, actually were, the years weren't long enough to, to, uh, to give us the 365 and a quarter days that we uh, recognize today. So it's possible that the years are even of slightly, slightly shorter duration which would skew the math anyway. So it's hard to identify exactly what the, you know, the terminus ad quem and the terminus a quo, when exactly this 483-year window begins and ends. But, but, but you know, all of, all of us can notice here that it's, it's pretty close, okay? Uh, no, matter, no matter what numbers we use. Uh, I, I haven't found anybody come up with the magic bullet that gives us exactly 483, um, but I'm, I'm fairly confident that the, the math is, 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 is correct here. Okay? But then we find out that there is a, a, another week that's sort of set off from the rest. Now, he doesn't say there's going to be a gap between the you know, 69 weeks and the 70th week, uh, but there perhaps is at least some sort of a hint uh, that there's going to be a period of time in which this, this, this man of sin comes to power, and uh, starts to dominate the world, okay? And so it does appear then uh, that uh, he, he this, this man of sin, this man of lawlessness, the abomination of desolation, uh, creates a covenant with the many for seven years, and in the middle, this is where we understand the uh, great and terrible day of the Lord uh, to really kick off when he breaks the treaty. So it's divided into two halves, uh, described here, uh, in, uh, in Revelation as 1,260 days, which using a 360-day calendar is half that period. Uh, Daniel uh, says a, a half of a week 
half of a, of a seven-year period. Revelation makes, makes sure that we understand that that is uh, three and a half years or 1260 days. Okay, and so he makes a covenant for the whole week, but in the middle, he breaks it. Revelation 11, I grant authority to my two witnesses. They will prophesy for the first 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth, and the, you know, the, the, king, the, the, the preaching of the kingdom goes out in the whole world. But they die in verse 7 when the beast turns against them. So he seems to be a friend of the Jews until the midpoint when he cuts off the Jewish uh, cultus, sets, him, sets up this abomination, uh, abomination of desolation in the temple. It's hard to know exactly what that is, some sort of an image of himself perhaps. Uh, that, is, that is the object then of worship, and he kills the two prophets. That's the time he kills them. Uh, however, they've been quite successful, right? They've, 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 they've uh, successfully converted, uh, by their work, uh, 144,000 Jews have been converted during this first period, and those 144,000 are sealed, right? And so they become the evangelists for the second half, of this tribulation. Okay? Second half then extends from the midpoint when Antichrist breaks the treaty until the second coming of Christ. So Revelation 12, Israel is protected in the wilderness for 1260 days, it says in verse 6, and then uses this rather curious uh, phrase here. Uh, Clearly, the same period of time, that's 1,260 days, it says a time, times, and a half a time. It's kind of a weird way of putting it, but, uh, but a time would be a year, times, two years, and a half a time, three and a half years. Uh, there's a lot written as to why that, that language is used, which I won't go into, but it's, it's, it's clearly the same period of time as the 1,260 days. And then uh, next chapter, uh, we find this confirmed again a different way. So it's 1,260 days, three and a half years, Revelation 13, 42 months. So lest there be any question, uh, we know exactly uh, the period of time that this Antichrist rules. The end of the tribulation corresponds roughly with the commencement of the millennium, but uh, according to Daniel 12, there's going to be a period of 75 days so after the 1,260 days, there's another 75 for a total of 1,335, he says. Uh, those 75 days are not explained, uh, but there's a period of, of 75 days after the seven years. There's all kinds of speculation why, maybe some cleanup after battle. This is the, this is the period of judgment. Uh, perhaps this is 75 days that is set aside for the judgment of the world. Uh, we don't really know, but there's a period of 75 days after the tribulation, perhaps a preparation for the, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb that's going to take place. So there's, there's a lot of things that can fit into those 75 days. We don't know. There's no explanation as to why they're there, uh, but uh, we know that there is. Okay? So questions on the chronology here of the... Uh, yes, Wes. Yeah, 
So yeah, so the question is this, the day of the Lord, what specifically is it? And uh, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to speak with absolute specificity because again, this day of the Lord language seems to be an indicator of God working supernaturally to set things straight. So the day of the Lord, really sort of the eschatological day of the Lord really begins with the rapture of the church. This is when God starts acting supernaturally to bring about the end. Uh, but, this, but this phrase here, the great and terrible day of the Lord, uh, is applied, that, that terminology is applied to the second half of the tribulation. So perhaps we could look at this as, as the ultimate expression of, of divine fury. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to pinpoint the day of the Lord. Really, the whole book of Revelation is the day of the Lord, broadly speaking. I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's coming. That's three and four in our next section oh, okay. in the purposes of the tribulation. Yes. So there are several verses that indicate that a large number of people are converted during this time too. Because it seems so gloomy. Well, yeah. It is a. It is a. Yeah. It does seem gloomy. That's the point. That is the uh, observation that Brian made here. It is a gloomy time. It's a bad time. But as has always been true, uh, the, what do they say? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I know it's not the church here, but the, but the principle, in principle, that's true, uh, that uh, this kind of persecution, you know, has, has I don't want to say it's got, it's got a romantic flavor to it, but there's, 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 a, there's a certain pull or certain tug of, of this that I, that I think draws people's attention. And uh, so they're probably, it, it, I suspect it's going to be one of those kinds of things where it, it, there's going to be a lot of people, perhaps a lot more than you realize, are converting. Um, but it, clearly there's going to be a lot of them, though. Look at that saying, there's no atheists in foxholes. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't mean there's, all, there's only Christians in foxholes either. Okay, so purposes of the tribulation. Firstly is the judgment of advanced sinfulness. Joel 3, put in the sickle. The harvest is ripe, come, tread, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, and their wickedness is great. And, and as you read this, the metaphor uh, sort of bleeds, <laughs> literally, right? You know, there's... There's this, this idea that the, 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 the vine and the wine metaphor ha have to do with the, you know, with the volume of blood that's going to be shed during this time here. Same thing in Revelation 14. Put in the sharp sickle. Gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. Her grapes are ripe. You know, it, has, it, sort of, it sort of echoes this language of, uh, of the... Uh, of, of the 
Canaanite conquest, right? So when, when Joshua goes in and, and the wrath of the Amorites is full, okay? Go, go in and, and take out the Canaanites because God's wrath against them has been filled up. Now crush them. So you got the same kind of sentiment here, only it's even on a, on a grander scale. Okay, so the angel swung his sickle to the earth, gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth, threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God, and the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Now, I, I, don't, I, don't, I'm not, I don't think it's saying that it's four feet deep for 200 miles, but rather the, uh, the horses would have been bloodied uh, in this whole vast uh, uh, geographic area, okay? By some calculations, as much as 80% of the world of mankind is killed during the tribulation. I mean, right off the bat, you have a third of the world's population followed by a fourth of the world's population in, in, the, in the first two judgments. Well, you know, if you, if you take away a third and then a fourth of what's left, that's half, Right? Okay, so, so half is gone in, in, just, in just a matter of, of moments here, days. Uh, so 80% of the world's population is destroyed during the ravages of the tribulation, even before we even get to Armageddon and the final judgment. But despite this, most people will be hardened in their sin and will not repent. They'll give their allegiance to this, this Antichrist. They're blinded. They've, they've been rendered stupid. Uh, even though perhaps in their, in their, in their reason, reasoning, it should, have, should be obvious, uh, it, it won't be uh, to them. And so there's this, this judgment of advanced sinfulness, their, their sin is full. But specifically then, there's a chastening of Israel, and there seems to be here in the chastening of Israel a, a, a greater undercurrent of thought here that there's going to be this teasing out, this winnowing out of a remnant who are faithful. Okay, So Israel has been storing up wrath too. The tribulation seems to be directed at them because they made this alliance with Antichrist. This is what Isaiah says. Because you said, we have made a covenant with death, we have made a pact with Sheol. The overwhelming scourge will not re reach us when it passes by because we've made falsehood our refuge and have concealed ourselves with deception. So we've, we've given up on God and we've gone to some sort of an alternate way whereby we can have security. Okay? We're, going to, we're going to put our trust in this Antichrist to give us that which we haven't had for all these years. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your covenant with death will be canceled. Your pact with Sheol will not stand, and the overwhelming scourge passes through, and you will become the trampling place. Okay, So there's this chastening of Israel specifically because they apostatized dramatically here, giving their, uh, their allegiance to Antichrist. And yet, there will be a large number of these Israelites who, through all the carnage, do turn to their Christ. Okay, the national return to God by, indivi by individual repentance among the Jews. So here's, here's the text you were looking for, Brian, hopefully. 
uh, Romans 11:26. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So they're going to be blinded, they're going to be hardened, they're going to make a pact with the devil, right? And yet, this, this hardening is partial, right? And after the fullness of the Gentiles takes place, all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And you see the, uh, the, the universal terms that are used. Uh, uh, there's a broad understanding here that uh, what is it meant here that all Israel, and this, this doesn't even include just dispensationalists here, uh, many Reformed, many Puritans, uh, for instance, were, uh, were of a mind here that all of the surviving Israelites at the end, who will be reduced in number, but all of those who survive to this point will, as one, turn and recognize their Lord Christ. So they're all Israel, all of the surviving Israelites at the end of the tribulation will look upon him whom they have pierced when he appears uh, on the Mount of Olives, and they will be vindicated at this point. So, so Zechariah, I think, uh, reflects this as well. I will pour out on the house of David and on the habits of, uh, inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. So this, this, this weeping of realization that they have been searching for another Messiah when the Messiah was all, has already appeared. goes on in the next chapter, In that day a fountain will be opened up for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and impurity. Uh, so, and uh, Jeremiah, the day will be great. There will be none like it. It will be the time of Jacob's distress, and yet he will be saved from it. Okay? So he, after this period of brutal winnowing, there will be a broad salvation extended, Daniel 12. There will be a time of distress, like has never occurred since there was a nation until this time. But at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Okay? And so in the midst of uh, this carnage that's ongoing for the Israelite people, there will be a mass conversion uh, at the end as they recognize uh, Messiah for who he is. Now, we could perhaps uh, ask a question, how many? I don't know. I, I, I can't. But it seems, seems like a fairly sturdy number uh, is, is represented in these kinds of terms here. Okay. It will also be a time for broad Gentile salvation as well. So the same thing will happen, uh, but we don't hear about this quite as much as we do about Israel because it is the time of Jacob's trouble uh, primarily. So Zephaniah, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation and all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal, but then I will give to the people's purified lips, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him from shoulder to shoulder. This is that verse that's, uh, uh, that is quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 10. It's the last 
last step on the Romans road. You know, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Where does it come from? From here. This is where, this is where the quote comes from. And there's going to be, at that time, God is going to grant to them purified lips. And it's kind of a strange metaphor to us, for us, but, it's, uh, but it perhaps shouldn't be. Uh, remember, remember Isaiah? And Isaiah chapter 6, when he comes into the throne room of God and he sees the Lord high and lifted up and his glory fills the temple and he says, woe is me, I'm ruined. I've, I've seen God in all of his glory. I'm, I'm, I'm toast. And yet there's a solution. What's the solution? Yeah, so an angel comes to him and says, it's not a done deal here. And he comes with, with tongs and takes uh, coal from the altar and not touches his lips and says, you are purified, okay? you're cleansed, uh, which would be emblematic here of regeneration. Okay? So he is, he is given a new heart, as is perhaps the uh, phrase we see more often in, the, uh, in the, uh, uh, the Old Testament or the circumcision of the flesh, uh, the idea that there is a, a new creation uh, that is that is formed at this point, and 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 the metaphor then is of the lips. You know, we say I love you with all my heart. Uh, in the Hebrew, the idea of the lips uh, would be used. Seems a little weird for us, uh, but uh, that's that's the metaphor that they would have used. So so he's going to give them purified lips. He's going to regenerate them so that then they will call upon the name of the Lord and serve God from shoulder to shoulder, uh, which at least implies that there are a number of people there. Again, we don't know the exact number. Or are we talking tens of thousands, millions? Uh, it's hard for me to put a number on this, but a, but a large number uh, will be converted during this time. And then we'll fi actually find in Matthew 25 that the, at the judgment, at the end, there will actually be sheep nations and goat nations, so enough that there's going to be a, a, a division here, the, the, the same with the, uh, the wheat and the tares. There's going to be a, a, a large quantity that are going to be preserved uh, as, as, as faithful. So, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a large number, although trying to put a number on it is difficult. Is there a follow-up there? Well, I just like to be interesting. So. <laughs> Yeah. You know, how are they represented here? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to know. I mean, it, where, are the, where are the ten tribes was the question here. Uh, they're sometimes called the lost tribes um, because, you know, the, after the Assyrian Empire, those ten tribes are pretty much, they pretty much merge in with the nations. And so it's, 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 it's hard to know exactly what happens to them. Now, there are some. We find actually in the book of Ezra from every tribe that actually come back from Babylon. So there apparently are some who either migrated uh, into the southern tribes, some, some faithful ones. It's, it's hard to know. Uh, we do know that the 144,000 will have representatives from every one of those tribes. Um, I don't know the details there. I mean, I, I understand there's all kinds of records kept. Uh, you know, it's kind of, kind of like secret records kept, like the Mormons do. There's, you know, there's there's all kinds of secret Jewish records. The uh, the pedigree of 
of the Jewish people is very important to them. Uh, so it's, it's possible that uh, there are that they'd be able to identify themselves, or, or, or perhaps, or perhaps God will simply indicate. You know, you know. Yeah, perhaps they don't know. Perhaps they do know. Perhaps they don't know. Perhaps there's a combination of that. On that, on that point for the salvation of many Gentiles, I just, I just had this question for a while, and this brings up the passage in Zephaniah. Is in the, in the Old Testament when it when it like in the Psalms and this prophetic passage when it says the people that's refer, is that real, always referring to Israel, and when it says the people. Well, yeah. The question is, is, is that plural of peoples significant here? Um, whenever you see that word peoples, that does indicate nations. Okay. Now, singular could refer to Israel, and it could refer to a pagan nation. Um, but, uh, but when you see peoples, or the, the you know, the, these, the goyim, or the, in Greek, the ethnoi, uh, then we're talking about multiple people groups. Uh, Israel perhaps could be a num- among them, but we're talking about someone, groups beyond Israel as well. Okay. A uh, question here that sometimes pops up here. Um, I know it was something that was uh, used sort of as a scare tactic when I was a kid. Um, I, don't, I don't know, perhaps some of you have heard this as well. Will people who have rejected the gospel prior to the rapture be excluded from the possibility of salvation during the tribulation? And it's drawn here from 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12. Um, there's this statement here that the coming of the lawlessness would, will come in accordance with the work of Satan displayed with all kinds of counterfeit signs, miracles, and wonders, every sort of evil that deceives. They will perish because they refuse to love the truth and so as to be saved. And so for this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and, the, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but delighted in wickedness. Now, I, I'm not sure that that text says what some have suggested, but the suggestion has been that if someone is swayed by the uh, rhetoric of the uh, Antichrist and, and, and is brought under his spell, they have this delusion uh, that they believe the lie, uh, that they are sort of sealed, they, they've committed some sort of an unpardonable sin, so that anybody who, who has given in uh, to, the, uh, to the Antichrist will not have any opportunity for salvation after that point. I'm not sure that that's what those verses say. Um, I think it's, I say here, it's not determinative. It's more likely that this is a general veiling over the vast majority of people. Most people are just going to be duped. Not a specific veiling that applies uh, strictly to a special class of people who commit an unpardonable sin. Um, so uh, while the latter understandably lends urgency to the invitation and in revival meetings, I'm not sure that those verses actually say that. 
that if you if you don't accept if you don't accept the gospel um, and then Jesus comes back that you are locked in at that point and you can't convert ever again. Um, I'm not sure that that passage says that at all, but I'm, I'll entertain a question for it if you want. Question related to the covenant with Israel. Yeah. The temple system will be, or the sacrificial system will be applied. Apparently, yes. Will they follow the law? Yeah, so the question is. what of this uh, this temple system? Is it going to be valid? Is it going to be legitimate? Is it going to be follow the uh, Old Testament rules? My answer is probably because that that's what they've been looking forward to for for so long. Um, and I I would I would think that they are going to try and follow all the rules. Now, whether it'll do it perfectly, I don't know. But it, it I would think that that's that's something that's really important to the Jewish people. So probably yes. They're going to justify their alliance because that's Yep. Yep. It's, it, they're finally going to be allowed, at long last, after thousands of years, they're actually going to be able to put into effect uh, the uh, religious cultus uh, that is uh, prescribed in the law, and they're, they're going to resume it. Of course, it is an act of faithlessness because that, that it. it there, yeah, I mean, we, we know from the New Testament that, that you know, those who insist on the continuation of all of those forms are actually ignoring the fact Messiah has come. So it's an act of faithlessness, but uh, it probably will done, be done in as close as possible con- conformity to what the, uh, the scriptures require. So good intentions, intentions don't matter. Yeah, right, exactly. Okay, yeah. yeah, this is bad time to start a whole new topic here, but uh, so I'm just going to cut it off here. I know it's I, I might I might I might get a I might get a pay cut this week, but <laughs> but uh, we're going to cut it off here, and uh, next week we'll have a little bit longer you know a longer section to go through. I want to get through the uh, uh, through the uh, uh, through the uh, kingdom, which takes us all the way to page forty, end of page forty, so. It'll, yeah, I might I might steal an extra five minutes from you next week, but uh, uh, I think it's a good time to cut off tonight. Okay, so we will see you next week. <laughs>